Welcome to this week's episode of the Aussie Nerds Podcast. I'm Daniel, and this week we are going to talk about a fantastic movie in general, and possibly the best movie ever made, at least according to Bobby. How are you doing, Bobby? Good morning, Daniel. Citizen Kane is widely considered to be the best made movie ever, but you say it's Shawshank. Um, I certainly, I, I certainly think it's it's up there. I think the production value is great. I, I think the story behind it is great. It, it was my favorite short story before it was ever turned into a movie. And and so when it when it came out in the cinema, I was one of the first in the in line to watch it. And and usually I'm a big sci-fi fan and and fantasy movies and things like that. But there's just something about the story. There's something about that exploration of hope that, that really enticed me and drew me in. And, and I just, I love the story. And the casting, the, the screenplay, the, the way the story is told is just masterful, in my opinion. The short story that Stephen King wrote, because this is based on a Stephen King short story. You've read it. I haven't. But... I hear that the way the things that they change only serve to improve the film. Like I agree. For example, my favorite one is um, that in the book there was multiple wardens, uh, and in this one we just have one that's just been there throughout the entire movie. And it's just an amalgamation of all of them. Yes, correct. And and Bob Gunton plays that one warden very, very well. And I think I think the choice to, to whittle it down to one warden gives you one antagonist to focus on or, or one big one. I mean, Byron Hadley, the, the um, guard, is also, you know, very much a, a villain in the movie. But but it all comes down to, to Warden Norton. And I, I, I really, truly believe that by solidifying it into one character gives us that one focus uh, for, for the antagonist and, and very masterful in that way. Um, okay, before we get into it too deep, I like to point out that this movie has an adaption-related joke, which is yes. brilliant. It's, it's <laughs> where, very rare. But Morgan Freeman uh, is called Red, and he said, why are you called Red? And he's like, maybe because I'm Irish. And in the book, he, right. he was. God. He was, yeah. And Frank Durabont purposefully went against the description in the book and, and chose Morgan Freeman for the reading and, and for the part. And, and, you know, I couldn't imagine anybody else playing Red nowadays. I mean, an old, wise uh, man who's seen it all and has a voice that you can trust. Who else would you cast? It's got to be Morgan Freeman. Absolutely. And especially to me, the Stephen King stories and books that make the best movies are the ones told from a first person narrative. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, the stand, uh, stand by me based on a, a story called the, the body and, and the green mile, all three of those are written as somebody else telling a story and, and red is the narrator. And so by having red be the narrator in, in the movie, Morgan Freeman's voice in the movie, it, it helps move that story along and, and, and keeps us that continuity with the, even with the changing times of Shawshank as, as time goes on. One of the, um, I'd also like to throw 1408 in there for movies that work in a based on Stephen King book. And it's also uh, focused on one character. I love 1408. Absolutely. And, and it's a narrative story as well. It's somebody telling a story. A, a lot of his books are so much with what's going on in the character's head and what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And I sometimes think that that, comes, that is difficult to come across in, in a movie. And whereas if it's told from a first-person narrative, it, it's easy to tell that story. Um, Stephen King is the second most adapted author of all time, right? Uh, I think he's got like 40-something. Maybe he's up to 50-something now. Um, movies and... Uh, and TV specials and stuff that are based on his books. Can you guess who the most adapted author is in history? 
let's see. I would think it's either going to be Agatha Christie or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Is my guesses. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is pretty good. Sherlock Holmes has had tons of adaptations. It's Shakespeare. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. Absolutely, of course it is. That's that's my reaction too when I heard that. I'm like, oh yeah, obviously. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Stephen King is <laughs> one of my favorite jokes from uh, from the Dom who does adaptation uh, criticism is. Uh, that Stephen King's hatred of The Shining didn't stop him from giving away book rights like candy. No, not at all. I mean, he he ran a program for a long time where he would sell the rights to a short story uh, to a college, a university film student for for a dollar. In fact, Frank Durabont uh, bought the rights to an early short story from Stephen King for a dollar. And Stephen King was so impressed with that treatment is why he then sold him the Shawshank Redemption rights for $5,000. And, and those, and in fact, Stephen King never cashed that check and had it framed and sent back to Frank Durabont to, to say, if you ever need bail money. And, <laughs> and apparently that's one of Frank Durabont's most prized possessions is, is that framed check of, of Stephen King's royalties. I mean, that's a great story. That's a great piece. It's like, that's my check from Stevie King. He thought that this movie was so good, he didn't take my money. Well, he says it's his favorite adaptation of any of his works in into screen is, is the Shawshank Redemption. I can see why. Uh, Green Mile, Misery, uh, and this are, prob- are my favorites. I think that this one is better than Citizen Kane. Because even though Citizen Kane popularized or invented a bunch of film techniques, uh, this one has a better story, I think. I love uh, both Red and the main character. His name I forget. Andy Dufresne. Thank you. Andy Dufresne and Red are both fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And and the, the depths at which they are written. Uh, and, and the movie adaptation explores the depth of character, I think, a lot more. Uh, Tommy, the, the young guy who's brought in and, and Andy becomes kind of a mentor for, and Brooks, in, in the book, those are a lot more minor characters than they're portrayed in the movie. And, and I think that depth shows, you know, what uh, an exploration of, of not only prison life, but, but of life in general and of personalities and, and, and the people that come and go in our own little personal plays. And, and I think how we react to those and, and what we do is, is important. You know, the theme of, of the Shawshank Redemption is hope. And, and, and it's, to me, it's an exploration of hope in, in every facet. It's, it's hope in a hopeless place. It, it is being hope for somebody else. It, it, it is always looking for the hope wherever it exists. And, and I think that they, they use that depth of character and explore those depths of characters to explore hope. Um, Andy Dufresne always does stuff in order to uh, give other prisoners hope. Like, uh, he, I, I forget what he did, but he did something for the guards to give everyone beer. When they were tarring the roof of, of the guard shack and, and he, uh, Byron Hadley is talking about that, that he's inherited months of money from an uncle. And, and, but he's, he's complaining that the lawyers are going to take chunks out of it and the IRS is going to take huge chunks of money out of it. And Andy says, using his banker expertise, that he can you know, he could fill in all the forms and he could change it all and, and, and get it for him free as long as he provides beers for, for his co-workers, as he calls them. And you're right, that, that's an ex- exceptional example. And Red says, you know, some, some people think he did it to curry, guard with the, curry favor with the guards. Some people think he did it to, to make friends amongst the cons. Me, I think he did it to feel normal. To, to give that hope, you know, and, and that's, a, that's an exceptional example of that. The best part of that scene, aside from literally how it's set up, how it's framed and everything that he does, is that um, he doesn't drink beer. Yes, he gave up drinking. It's great. It's like, I didn't do any of this for myself. I did it for them. And he does everything for uh, the other prisoners. He, um, he created a library. That's right. Yep. It's amazing. And I love it. And also, I thought 
that they were going to stop the letter, him from sending the letters or burn them or something. Uh, I thought that the twist was the reason that he escaped, because I had no idea about how he, about any of this going in, aside from the whole he escapes from Shawshank thing. I thought that he was going to escape once he realised that the guards were using him and stopping him from doing everything. And I liked that the guards didn't stop him from creating the library, um, because once he escapes, the prisoners have what he gave them. That's right. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's another prison movie I saw last week, uh, which was Paddington 2, which is <laughs> the weirdest comparison ever. But Andy Dufresne and Paddington are just this form of positivity that um, rarely gets broken down. And everything that they do is for other people even though uh, Andy is also benefiting from it by not having to work uh, in the yard and in the heat and stuff. Absolutely. I, I think he's very magnanimous. He, he, he it does things to try to feel normal, to, to try to find hope in, in the, the desperation that he's in. And, and by giving that hope to other people, you know, taking Tommy under his wing and, and helping people get the, the graduation equivalency degrees and, uh, you know, the high school diplomas and stuff. The, the movie only, only talks about that, that one thing one example of Tommy, but, but had the book, he, he had kind of began a program of, of helping inmates, you know, turn get their GEDs and get their high school equivalencies. And, and that's very important. And going back to, to when he talks about not drinking, you know, the book explores that a little bit more that, that red says, you know, he didn't have beers that day, but he only drinks twice a year. Once, once he gets a, a bottle of brandy at Christmas and a bottle of brandy on his birthday, and and he he gets proper drunk on those days, and and it explores another side of Andy that it's not this. Yeah, he he maintains this facade of positivity and and hope, but at the same time, he does have these dark moments where he gives in and 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 re reminds himself of of where he is and and the horrible situation that he's in. Do you know why Red went to prison? It wasn't mentioned in the movie. I figured it would be mentioned in the book. Murder. Oh. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, it was murder. It was a, um, as a kid, I want to say it was like robbing a gas station or, or a grocery store or something like that. Uh, it, it, it's, but it is murder. It says I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. I love that. I love how um, Andy is, uh, starts to be uh, starts to be familiar and he doesn't become institutionalized um but he starts to fit in with the other inmates because he said no one's guilty in Shawshank. yes oh absolutely he said you'll fit right in and you know he says brooks what happened or you know what happened to you he says oh the lawyer screwed me you know i'm, I'm innocent the lawyer screwed me and you know once again a comparison from from the book to the movie the movie, the prison part of the movie begins with Red being rejected for parole. And, and, and that, that is a continued theme, a trope through the movie. He, he's rejected two or three times. And then at the end, when he tells the truth and he's not trying to you know, give parole is, is when he's granted it. In the book, it starts with him. He's already been granted parole and he's been put into a little kind of halfway sale before he's completely released from prison you're talking about getting institutionalized he's so worried that he's become institutionalized by shawshank that once he leaves his brain is going to forget it his brain is going to completely block out shawshank so he's writing down that story in order to remember he, he doesn't want to forget his friend he doesn't want to forget andy uh and you know in the it, I think that that exploration of that institutionalization and and how Red and Andy are almost two sides of the same coin. Andy, he says he wears it like a blanket. He wears his innocence like a blanket that protects him. Whereas Red, it's almost his guilt and that admission of guilt is what protects him and keeps him from being so institutionalized. Um, there was always doubt that Andy was guilty. 
and uh, even that, I'd like to point out that we have a, a massive, brilliant escape movie happening just off screen, right? Where he's using the pick to just dig his way out over like years. It's happening just off screen and we don't hear about it until the last possible minute. Right. Which is you know, you... so strange because in any other movie, that would be the plot. That's the focus. Yeah, yeah. It's not until, you know, and, and Red even has to say, what, what was it? Was it the wet plaster, the wet rock on the wall that, that gave way easily? He, he, he has to go through all these different scenarios in his mind with how did Andy come up with this? And, and I think that that works very well. And in, in the book, Andy ha- is there's a couple of times of tension. Andy gets a, a cellmate and, and he has to stop digging for like a year and a half. Uh, you know, and, and there, there are times when, when he has to stop and he, and he, and he has to keep it so secret that, you know, and the fact that he doesn't tell red, he doesn't tell anybody, you know, even red in that last night thinks he's dead, thinks he's gone in and committed suicide. And, and he, he, he hasn't even told red what he's doing. And you know, that, that there's a part of, of what was his experience and part of what was going on that he kept only to himself. And, you know, the exploration of, of Brooks, Brooks is that example of institutionalization. Brooks is that what could, what is the worst case scenario? If you, if you truly let it get to you, once you get out, what's it going to do to you? And, and poor Brooks. And in the, in the, in the book, he dies in an old people's home. In the book, he lives out his life and he goes into a retirement home and he dies there, but it's almost like he gave up. The yeah. way it happens in the book, in the movie. Abs- in the movie, absolutely. It becomes so much more of a tragic figure, so much more of an example of what institutionalization does to a person. The um, Him being what Red could be if he gets uh, institutionalized and him committing suicide shows the tragic path that he could be on. It's, it's beautiful and brilliant. It's- uh, and when when we see the parallels between Red and um, oh, Brooks and Brooks, it's it makes it so much better. Absolutely, absolutely, because you're 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 tracking both of them in that same way, in that same mindset. It's not just the activities that they're doing, but it's 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 you can tell it's their same way of thinking, their same perspective. And it's when Red says, "So I got myself a hobby." I've been, I started collecting stone fences and, and that's very, very important. You know, that, that once again, Andy has given hope outside of the walls of Shawshank by sending red on this quest, by, by knowing that you can't get bored out there. You can't start thinking about how, how bad it is and, and dwelling on it. You, you, you need something to keep you going. Here's this quest. Come find me. Um, I, <laughs> I, it wasn't said, it was very subtle, but I like that um, the pick that Red gives Andy to make his figures, which he uses his, which he uses to dig his tunnel. I like that it basically is, he's got no hope of digging um, out with something this small. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's and, another and, example of hopelessness. And, and also an example of discovering hope where you think there is none. That yeah, you think that this thing can't can't do it, but but yet here here here's what happens: the, the patience and time. You know, he's, Red says at the end. You know, the the rocks appeal to his meticulous nature. You know, it, it, that that all you've got is is pressure and time, and and with those two things and rocks, you, you can you can accomplish about anything. And once again, a, a comparison to the book is he he goes through three hammers. In the book, it's it's not just one. Red has to keep replacing the hammer. And, it wasn't and, it wasn't shown in the movie, but I assumed that he had to keep getting it replaced in the movie as well because that thing's tiny. Thing's tiny, and he says right at the end, you know, they found the rock hammer worn down to a nub. And, you know that that he had he had literally sat there and worn the steel down until it was just a little nothing, and you know that. That says a lot about persistence and, and, you know, yes, hope is important and, and hope drives us and, and desire drives us, but it also takes time and persistence and, and determination. 
uh, what was the movie that they were watching? I think it was Gilda. Gilda with Rita, Rita Hayworth. And originally it was going to be another Rita Hayworth movie. And, and in the book, it was a different movie. And it, but it was almost that interchangeability. It didn't matter what movie it was. It was just the experience of the cinema. You know, like Andy says, when, when Red said, uh, you know, I love it when she does that shit with her hair. <laughs> and, and Andy says, yeah, I know I've seen it three times this month. It's not about the movie. It's about the, the feeling of, of normalcy and that semblance of the ordinary and, and just going and sitting. I, I consider going to the movies a very community experience. When you, when you go to the movies and you laugh at the same time everybody else laughs and you shriek at the same time everybody else shrieks, you feel normal and you feel connected. And I think it must be even greater and more so when, when in, in, a, in a situation like prison. Once and also, you know the the marriage of Figaro scene where he plays the operatic album in in the warden's office and that connect everybody in the yard stops and listens and they don't care what the, what the two ladies are singing about. It's it's just about that experience of taking it in for a second, having your soul soul fly higher than the walls of the prison. Is this the movie that secured? Uh, Morgan Freeman's place as we've got to get this guy to narrate literally everything. <laughs> narrator. I know. Morgan fucking Free Freeman. Have you seen Shawshank? Holy shit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and his narration binds the movie together in, in such a good way. And, you know, he, he started doing a lot of documentaries after this and yeah it's that it's that voice that you know before morgan freeman it was almost it was james earl jones Ooh, you, you know that. that 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 voice that he had and, and has and and so yeah i think i think somebody that has that kind of voice that has that ability to to talk in a way i don't know if you know stephen fry I know Stephen, uh, Stephen oh, his yeah. his voice and the way he weaves words together is to me is I, I love how a description and how a talk and how a voice can project all these different emotions and all these different kind of semblances of of the situation and yeah I I, I completely agree with you that the narration that Morgan Freeman provides is is second to none exemplary. It also has a lot of. Um, book accurate dialogue oh absolutely i don't really care about that sort of stuff but since it's based on a book and it's great uh using book dialogue is a is great respect to its source material absolutely 100 percent. that the at the end when he says uh you know i hope the ocean the pacific is as blue as it is in my dreams i hope to see my friend and shake his hand i hope and, and, and that's the last line of the book, you know, and the book ends with him getting on the bus. You don't actually even see him in Zawataneo. He just gets on the bus in the book. I love that we don't end um, ambiguously. We ha we've been through all of this shit. Let us see him be happy. I, I do agree with you. I, I think I think my reticence comes from that I'm such a Stephen King fan, and he's one of those that that ends in ambiguity. You you get to determine the ending for yourself, and and I think that's that's pretty important as a readership, as as he he calls us the constant reader, <laughs> uh, and and you get used to to that. And and Frank Durbont wanted to end it ambiguously. He wanted to end it with the bus pulling away from Fort Hancock. But the producers insisted on that last scene. But that's why it's out of focus. Is is it a dream? Is it an imagination? Or is it real? That's why that whole last scene is out of focus. Is because Frank Durabont wanted to keep just even that hint of ambiguity, even though you know we we have a resolution, we have a conclusion. Um, the the out of focus dream sequence uh, thing works still. Because uh, Red doesn't know yet. He's imagining and he's, and he's thinking about Hope and getting out and meeting Andy again. Uh, then we see them meet and it's great. And thank you for producers for stopping. <laughs> some, some movies need uh, ambiguous endings. Some don't. This didn't. I don't know about the book. Right. The book's quite different, I think, uh, from your description. 
And in some in some ways, you know, like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of book accurate dialogue. The, Brooks's story was changed a little bit. Tommy's story is changed in in the book. Tommy trades his promise that he'll never tell what he knows about Andy and and the other convict that admits to killing Andy's wife. And the warden sends him to a minimum security prison instead of him dying. Yeah. In the mood. And and once again, that death becomes so much more of a tragic example instead of a, you know, what, what could have been like, like with Tommy, when he, instead of going off to a minimum security and, and thinking he has a better life, you know, he, he dies, he's murdered in cold blood. And, and I think that's much more of a, a better example. I also think that's the combinations of the different wardens into the one warden Norton. You had in the book wardens that were more violent and, and were more sadistic and, and where they're, they're kind of all embodied in Norton in the movie. And when, you, when they combined all the wardens into one, where there's the corrupt warden, the uh, hostile warden, and the warden that helps Andy build his librarians, uh, I don't know what the three wardens did, but when you have all that, you make the character worse in terms of how evil he is. So you need to ramp up what he did. Because I guarantee that if they kept the scene with uh, Elvis, I call him Elvis because of his hair, where they <laughs> keep the scene with Elvis uh, going to a minimum security prison instead of being killed, that would have been completely out of character for this warden. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. And the death of Tommy in the movie is the catalyst to spurn Andy to, to ramp up the, um, the escape, you know, to get busy living and get busy dying. That Tommy's death is one thing that truly, truly spurns him on. And, and he understands that if, if he doesn't do something, he's going to end up just like Tommy. His only, um, his only hope was that uh, Tommy uh, tells the warden, the warden uh, tells everyone else, and then, and then he gets out legally. But after that, that's when it's hopeless, completely hopeless, and we think all hope is lost. But Andy is the symbol of hope, and he still has his tunnel. Yeah. The, 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 like you said, it's going off screen. It's, it's so off shot that we, we don't realize the tunnels there that he, he believes he it's hopeless. And it is, it is truly his emotional rock bottom. You know, his physical rock bottom is when he, when red talks about his first two years in the routine with Boggs and the sisters and things like that, that was his physical rock bottom. But to me, this is his psychological and emotional rock bottom. This is, and, and the only thing he's got left is that tunnel. And the, 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 you know, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Christian, you know, there's, there's a reason why the book title includes her name in it. Uh, I, I forgot about that. That's really cool. And you all, you, with that uh, title, you have to have Rita Hayworth be the, the um, poster in it. And I love how he asked for the poster. He doesn't say, can you get me a poster of Rita Hayworth? He's like, hey, I want her. And he's like, can you get me Rita Hayworth? And I can get it. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and she's, it's replaced by Raquel Welch, you know, and, and they do that in the movie as well. But in, in the book, he said it's replaced by Raquel Welch and, and the poster goes, goes through transformations. And that's one of the good passes of time is, is, is the, the way the poster changes from, from Rita Hayworth to Raquel Welch and Barbarella and all the different things. And so it, it's very, very good that that's, that's used as a passage of time also. I, and I, I like that um, Andy is in um, the good graces of the warden until he becomes a fucking idiot. And it's like, I, don't worry, once I get out, I definitely won't rat you out. Definitely won't talk about all the illegal stuff you're doing. Definitely won't do that. And I'm like, you moron. You should have shut your fucking mouth. Because <laughs> well, at, in the, in the- at that point, the moment he said that, the one was like, oh, fuck. He's totally can wrap me out. He's got too much evidence. I can't let him leave. Right. He takes Tommy, the fucking moron, out of the prison yard. Because of course he does. And, and Tommy doesn't realize, oh, this is probably a trap. Ugh. That entire scene, it doesn't frustrate me because it's within the character's 
it does frustrate me, but I'm not blaming the movie. I'm just thinking these characters are stupid. Oh, well, and, and they do a really good job of making Warden Norton the worst of all of the amalgamation pieces of, of the different wardens. He's, you truly, truly hate Bob Gunn in, in this movie. You, you re- and the, the funny thing is, the movie before this was The Demolition Man, and he was the chief of police. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's the chief of police in the San Angeles Police Department in, in Demolition Man, and he comes from this straight-laced you know, character to corrupt Warden Norton. That's and and yeah, that's a that's a really good juxtaposition for that. Uh, and he'd had to shave his head for Demolition Man, and he wore a wig when he did the audition for Warden Norton because he <laughs> wanted him, he wanted Warden Norton to have hair so that you could gray it to show him aging and to show that passage of time. That's another subtle thing: um, the graying of the hair. They didn't graying of the hair. They didn't overdo it with the age makeup. No. They just said, it's like, what's, what's some signs that they can be aging? It's not like back to the... It's subtle. Where yeah, it's, it's very it. subtle. And it's, and it's all three of the main ones. Morgan Freeman, Warden Norton, uh, and, and Andy Dufresne. That, you know, Red, Warden, and Andy are all three graying in their, their hair changes. And, you know, in the first, it's a very 40s, 50s style. And then, it you know, they, it becomes more modern and a flat top is the 60s and 70s and things like that. So, you know, the hairstyles and like you said, they don't do the age makeup. It's not prosthetics. It, it's about the subtle cues the the poster and the music and all the different things that just subtly change because you, you don't want to have like announce the 70s you want it to be like a gradual progression like of course he'd do this or of course this would happen because of all this stuff it's a gradual time passing progression well and and like like red says it's you know prison time is slow time you, you don't want to hurry through the decades but you, you want it to have this very, very gradual, slow process of, of time passing because that's that must be how it's like in prison. For time must seem just imperceptibly slow. This is also the second prison movie based on a Stephen King book that has a pet in it that's owned by a side character. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, this would be the first because Green Mile was after this one. So oh, right. Okay. Mr. This, is yeah, Mr. <laughs> this is the first one. Mr. Jingles uh, and... and you know, Mr. Jingles, uh, you know, the, the bird that re- that Brooks keeps. I think in both the mouse. In Mr. Jingles Earth. is the mouse. That's right. Yep, Mr. Jingles is the mouse. And then Brooks keeps the little raven um, with his uh, Jake. I was trying to think of the name of the little raven, Jake. And, you know, there are a lot of similarities. That, you know, there's been a lot of co- comparisons drawn in both the Green Mile and Shawshank with biblical references. You know, Stephen King puts a lot of kind of religious connotation and put biblical references in. And and even even the, the little side pets, even the little things that they're taking care of, you know, the resurrection of, of Mr. Jingles the has, has certain connotations. The resurrection of uh, Mr. Jingles by um, that's before the execution or crucifixion of an innocent person that can heal the sick. Oh, gee, yes. I wonder what you're <laughs> that on. And let's see, and the, the initials of the man who does the healing is JC. <laughs> Subtle. Subtle. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, not, it, it's not any coincidence that Andy has 12 friends in, in Shawshank Redemption. You know, there's, there's 12 main friends and Andy. Uh, Andy, the symbol of hope, and his 12 disciples. You know, it, it, there's no coincidence in that at all. Uh, this this is great. I love everything about it. There is not one flaw in it. And I and someone said when I said that um, that Shawshank was perfect and there's not a single flaw in it, he, they were saying they the guards would have noticed the shoes and Andy should have not worn the shoes. No. And, out. and I'm like, no. How often, like Red says it, how often do you look at a man's shoes? The only thing that I've about the shoe scene is with the routine every day, I think the clicking of the shoes would have been more recognized than than the shoes itself. 
Like if you're used to somebody walking down the hall and they, their shoes make a certain noise and all of a sudden they're not making that noise or they're making a different noise. To me, it's the clicking of the shoes rather than the, the, the actual look of the shoe itself. But like I said, how often do you look at a man's shoes? And Andy, to me, would have been smart enough to synchronize his steps with a guard to hide that. Uh, and it goes into the, um, the whole message of hope. Yes. It works out because Andy deserves to be free. And we learn that he deserves to be free before we learn that he's trying to escape. Yes. So yeah, yeah. that was important to me. I didn't know for a fact that Andy was innocent until Elvis told us what yes. really happened. So with all that uh, in mind, it builds and it doesn't tell us, this would be like if The Great Escape. You know The Great Escape? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I've seen about 50 times. My dad's British. Um, so it would be like if in The Great Escape, they were digging this tunnel and doing all this stuff and setting up all these things and disposing of the things of the dirt and figuring out a way to pump air and forging it. But we had no idea any of that was happening. Yes. Until yeah, like yeah. That, that, it was paying attention to all the other stuff until that. <laughs> it was just great. We just, we, it's, it's one of it's a it's the closest it's a good example i think of what this movie could have been it could have been the great escape which is a great movie but it's not this movie and this movie is about life uh in a hopeless situation and bringing hope back in and and you know the great escape is about uh, you know imprisonment of of prison of of soldiers and and them breaking out because that's you know what they deserve and and that's that's you know what kind of prisoners of war that's a very good trope whereas the exploration of one person's trying to ensure that they don't become institutional you know and that's a that's a we sh um we wouldn't have been on board for andy escape andy's escape until we learned about his life Absolutely. Oh, 100%. So, and we see him helping Tommy and we see him helping the other guards. It's not even just about, you know, it's also the fact that he's in prison unjustly, but he makes use of his time. He, he, he decides that the time in prison needs to be used to help people. And, and even though he's there completely unfairly, you know, he says that I had to come to prison to become a criminal. He's, he's completely unjustly in prison, but, you know, helping Tommy, building the library, all these different things, he, he makes the most of his time in a horrible situation. And he makes the most of his time to help others with the beer and the library and um, educating people, making sure that they don't have, making sure that they have hope. Because after he leaves, so with the library, the first time he writes one letter um day uh one letter a week one letter a week to the um to the government to the state to the yep. state government in order to get a budget for the library and they grant him how much oh it's it's a paltry sum. it's like it's like two hundred dollars and a, a couple of magazines at first and they with a letter that says you know please don't write us anymore we hope this solves the matter and so he, he says i'm going to write two letters a week two letters a week on. And then by the end of it, they get like a yearly budget. Absolutely. You know, they've built the they've extension. They've named it the, you know, Brooks Memorial Library. And, you know, there's, there's all these different like, levels of help. You know, at first it's just a little bit, but his persistence, his determination, it, the fact that he's not going to let the darkness of Shawshank stop him from being a positive influence. <laughs> The fact that I watch Paddington 2 and it's very similar, except more <laughs> funny, is hilarious. I, I couldn't believe it because I watched Paddington 2 and then this, and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> oh. I've not seen either of the Paddington movies, so. They're adorable. <laughs> you have the, uh, on a side tangent, because I already talked about last week, but you had uh, Paddington 1, which is about immigration. Uh, and Paddington immigrates to England, and it's about how we treat people uh, who are who are foreign. Then the second one, he goes to prison, and he just makes everything better by being there. And I thought that it was adorable. 
You should watch it. It's very cute. He was my he was some of my first introduction into British television. Um, growing up in America, although I live in England now, uh, there was there was Nickelodeon. The channel Nickelodeon had a thing called Pinwheel, which was like an afternoon conglomeration of all kinds of different cartoons and stop motion animation and things. And Paddington was on on Pinwheel, and that was kind of my Paddington, Danger Mouse, and Banana Man were some of my first examples of, of being exposed to British animation and British children's television. And I, I loved all three of them kind of oh, thing. So that's cute. Okay. Who's your favorite character aside from Andy and Red? Brooks. Brooks is great. For, for what he represents. Solid, and, and choice. Yeah. Brooks for not only literarily and movie, but cinematically as well. It, it's what Brooks represents and the changes that Brooks makes or the changes they made about Brooks, I think really highlights that example of institutionalization. I think the lesson, you know, the, the overall kind of thing is that protection from institutionalization. The, that hope is that protection. That hope is that shield. And Brooks had been in there so long, he had lost the hope. You know, when he, when he comes out and says, the world's gone and gotten itself in a goddamn hurry. And, you know, that's, that's extremely his hope was, was there in Shawshank. He, if anything, he's hoping he could go back to prison. He says, I've dreamed of committing a crime just so I could go back. And his hope is, is still there. And, and yeah, Brooke is, Brooks is, is a tragedy literarily and, and cinematically. Um, it works so much better that he dies rather than yes. dying in old folks' home. And that he kills himself, yeah, that's you know, right. and that we see that, you know, it's, it's, it's not a meaningless death. It's not an empty death. He, he chooses it and, and that Brooks was here and then the, so was red, you know, and, and we think is, you know, at the end is, is red committing suicide as well, or is red, you know, and then he puts on his hat and walks out the door. You know, and that, that's that's a great redemption. That's a great, you know, we've seen all these parallels, all these similarities. And then Red puts on his hat and walks out, grabs his suitcase and walks out the door. The uh, the escape from Shawshank, where Andy crawls through all the shit and, uh, and Morgan Freeman is like, he crawled through like X amount of shit. Uh, he crossed through a river of shit and came out clean as a whistle on the other side. It's great, and there's a waterfall that cools him off. That washes it's, off it's, and it's, it's rain. It's rain. He walks out into a rainstorm because he, yeah. he, he kind of slides out of the drainage ditch into a pool, into a, like a cesspool. And in fact, uh, an on site chemist declared that creek actually in real life toxic. And that That's Tim hilarious. Robbins should never have, have slid himself into it. But Tim Robbins said, as an actor, sometimes you compromise your health for the scene. So uh, you're so telling me, steady. you're telling me that the pile of shit that he crawled through was probably made out of like chocolate and stuff, and that was safe and clean. But the thing that symbolized him washing away was dirty. Was dirty, absolutely, yeah, yeah. The the river of shit was chocolate and and milk and water, and the steam was was fake steam on you know kind of manufactured. But yeah, the creek that he dumps himself into is actually nasty and, and not fit for humans to, to be in it. Okay, people, listen to me carefully. You misuse irony a lot, but <laughs> simple for, for the character becoming clean and pure again after crawling through all this muck and actually being dirty and toxic is irony. That's irony at its truest forms. But, you know, that when the rain is washing him off and, you know, he's standing there with his shirt off he pulls his shirt off and he stands there with his head up to the sky looking at the rain you know that that's the ultimate redemption scene it is it is once again no coincidence that he is in a crucifix pose you know and 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 in that redemption moment and and i i just love it you know, that's that's one of my favorite scenes is is when he stood there just head up just enjoying the rain you know the the rain on his face outside of the walls i don't know what started morgan freeman's career um properly as the symbol of old man that is a, an authority figure but this has got to be it's either a trope because of this movie or he was hired for this movie because of that trope um, I would say it's probably a little of both. He was fairly established uh, by the time that he kind of got to Shawshank. You know, Seven was was before that. 
Um, and, and so he had been doing stuff since the sixties, you know, he's, he, he was in the electric company, which I know a lot of British and, and, and Australian people, the electric company was a show in America that came on right after Sesame street. And it was, it was, it was just that little bit older. Sesame street taught you grammar and spelling and the electric company taught you maths and division and, and, and things like that. And so he was in the electric company. So he was already in American minds at very much a symbol of not just authority, but of good. And, and, you know, the electric company was an extremely wholesome show. He was an extremely popular character on the electric company and, 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 and he, in his voice, you know, he spoke to the camera and two children in that a lot. And, and so, yeah, the, the electric company it solidified him in, in ways that, that, you know, probably not much else did. The, so they hired, so they, the uh, director, who's the director? Frank Durabont. Frank Durabont saw, uh, saw a role where Andy needed a, a tough but kind, authoritative friend. And he's like, well, it's got to be Morgan Freeman. It's like, but he's Irish. No. He's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Absolutely, you know you're you're a hundred percent correct, and you know he had done some really good movie, really big movies. Lean on Me, where he played the the uh, um, principal of a Chicago East Side Chicago high school, and he turned that around. If you've not seen Lean on Me, that's a fantastic movie based on a I'll true story. Uh, Glory, where he plays a runaway slave and and who joins the first black regiment of the civil war uh you know that was big that was 1989 and then in 1990 uh, going back to the narration stuff in 1990 he narrated a mini series called the american civil war uh and and it was uh, i think it's a ken burns production if i'm not mistaken and he's the narrator of, of that documentary series so so his narration his voice was already being explored in cinema glory and lean on me are fantastic i can't if you've not seen lean on me I, i'm I telling you lean on me or glory and i will definitely watch them as soon as i can uh, lean on me he he's joe clark and he's brought in to this East Side Chicago High School that is just run rampant with drugs and gangs and violence, and he's brought in to clean it up. And Robert Guillaume is in it, and that's a great movie. I'll definitely watch it as soon as I can. And and like I said, Glory tells of the first all black regiment of the American Civil War, and that's Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman and uh, Matthew Broderick, and that's a very good movie. Wow, I getting off sub. Sorry, I don't mean to get off sub. No, it's Sorry. fine. You can, in this podcast, it's about you, and we're talking about Morgan Freeman, so you can talk about whatever you want. What I was thinking, <laughs> um, Audible, the uh, audiobook website, is hiring actors to uh, read audiobooks now, and if they haven't got Morgan Freeman to read any audiobook, it's really mad as hell. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I wonder if, if Robin Hood wasn't the the role that got him this role uh, because he was he was the second you know he was the the sidekick to to kevin costner in robin hood and he played that second very very well um and and you know to i think this movie has some similar tropes and and he's the second to andy dufresne he you know he is his his assistant, his helper. He's the man that can get things. And, uh, you know, I do, I do see some, some similarities in, in that comparison. This, um, this movie is brilliant. And I think it is better than Citizen Kane because of the story and the character. Uh, because Citizen Kane is about a person's life. And this is also about a person's life. Um, but it's about a person's life in an extremely um, tough and um, situation that pushes you to your limits. Yes, hope in a hopeless place. You know the the get busy living or get busy dying. You know, that that's been touted out and, and almost you know cliched so much now. But that that is really the the the, the main crux of the movie. You know you get busy living, get busy hoping, find that hope, or or, or all is lost. Find something worth living for. That's right. It's, it's so good. 
and I, oh, there's one more thing. There's, there's tons more, but uh, there's uh, the Bible. The Bible. Um, the warden says, um, Bible's your salvation. And that's where he hid the pick in it. And yes. it is his salvation. And, and if you notice, when the warden at the end opens the Bible and finds where the pickaxe was, was hidden, the rock hammer, it's in Exodus. It's the first first chapter of Exodus. In fact, the, 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 the first page of Exodus is where he cuts the hole. And Exodus means escape. And, and so, you know, it's, it, it, it's, there's no coincidence that, that Exodus is what he chooses. And that's, that's the second book of the Bible. Exodus tells the story of Moses' taking of the, the people out of, of Egypt and, and their escape from, from that. And so that Exodus escape, you know, comparison. That's 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 done on purpose. Party of the Red Seas, walking through, uh, crawling, walking through the thing. It's so good. Yes. Oh, oh, walking through the know. desert for forty days. You know, so, wandering the desert, lost. Wandering the desert, lost. Crawling through a ton of shit. Literally, it's great, and I love it. And I love that um, that just before we see Andy escape and how he escaped and that he escaped, before all that happened, we have the moment of absolute hopelessness where Red uh, hears that he wanted like six feet of rope. Uh, yes. And he's like, oh, fuck, he's going to um, hang himself. Uh, and he's given up all hope. And that, that, that that's a symbol because that rope was used to free him. Yes. Instead yeah, of yeah. dying, he gets out. Oh my God. Yes. This is so good. I love it so much. <laughs> well, and you know, it's going back to that fact that he kept it all within himself. He didn't tell anybody. So without the context of that, I'm, you know, I'm escaping. I've got this tunnel. I need this rope to help me escape. The rope becomes that symbol of hopelessness. With, without the context of everything else, because Andy has kept it all inside, the rope becomes that symbol of desperation. Brooks was the same way, you know. And, and so to, to use the rope as part of his redemption is, is, is masterstroke. And I knew that he was going to escape. I saw the poster. <laughs> but I, so I knew he was going to escape, but I didn't know that the escape would happen off screen. So all the things that were clues on him trying to escape and using to escape, like the poster and the pick, etc., all that stuff I didn't know was going was being used off screen for him to escape. So it caught me off guard anyway, even though I knew what was happening. Well, they're just they're parts of his life. You know, the rock hammer is from his hobby, and the poster is because every man in prison would want a poster. And you know, they're they're just pieces of his life, but put all together, his life is about the escape. His life. The book does that as well. The book the book does that very well in in the way that that it it doesn't talk about the escape at all until the end. And it's the last few pages that Red is trying to understand how did he do it? How did he escape without nobody knowing, without anybody suspecting what was going on? Including us. Including us. Well, the first time I read it, I mean, I, I, I saw Stand By Me in 1986 when it came out. And immediately, you know, found out it was a, a Stephen King story. And so I went out and I got this different seasons. And I read the whole book, you know, the apt pupil and... The, the the body and and everything and and the whole book was was great but there was something about Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption and it stuck with me I think I read it back to back I think I read it twice kind of back to back just immediately because I, I fell in love with the story so much and and then you know kind of years later when I hear that this movie's coming out I was I was so excited because it was my favorite short story. You know, this is a short story I'd read a dozen times up until that point. And so I was extremely excited. And, and the, the reading of it, that first, I can remember that first reading and not knowing, not knowing what was going to happen and, and the, the, the elation that you feel when Andy escapes. So, so good. And having it um, revealed to us just before we know he's going to escape that he's innocent, allows us to be 100% on his side. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. And everything else that happens, like the, um, him providing evidence to the FBI 
uh, so that he'd be arrested. Then going to the bank uh, under the guise of the alias that he created in order to withdraw all the money. And, and then him giving uh, one last spark of hope to Morgan Freeman. Yes, uh, with, with the stone wall and the oak tree. And it's, it's so great. And, and see, there's another thing that was changed quite a bit from the book to the movie is he had set, set up his alias um, before coming into prison. He and his lawyer had worked together to set all this up. And but the movie, by using the corruption and, and you know, sending off the evidence and all that stuff, it really brings it much back around much better full circle. The movie does, in my opinion. Yeah, the, um, the thing that Andy was using to help the warden, he then uses to help himself uh, become, uh, have a better life when he gets out of prison and he steals yes. all, the, all the warden's stolen money and then, he arrest, and then he gets the warden arrested. It's the only thing that he really does for himself. And, and he um, has read also benefit from what he did. So even in that moment, he still helps someone. Yes. And, and, and it's the understanding that, that Red has to get out on his own, that, that Red can't escape, that, that there's no escape for Red. Red has to do it correct because he's already admitted, I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. So the correct channels have to, you know, he says, if you ever get out of here, if you ever find yourself outside of these walls, and it, it, it's not that Red's going to escape. It's not that Red's even that kind of person. Red has to get out the right way. He has to have that redemption of, of parole, even though in the book it happens at the first of the book rather than at the end. Once again, the movie does that very well with him getting rejected twice and then, you know, granted parole because of him telling the truth, because he's, he says, you know, it, it, just a made-up word, you know, rehabilitation is just a made-up word for, for people like you to have a job. I uh, don't know how that speech worked, but good on him for, um, for having that speech. And I like that he didn't, he didn't get parole at the start like he did in the book, because the narration works fantastically without that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that context, and it also gives... You're right. Obviously, the innocent man gets to escape, uh, and the guilty... Uh, the guilty man has to go through the proper channel. Right. But Andy he has to hope, so he goes to the uh, parole board in order to escape. Uh, yes, exactly. You know, Andy wears his innocence like a like a protection, like he said. Whereas Red, it, he has to accept his guilt before he has that protection. Once he accepts what what's happened, and I mean, he's always said, oh, "I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank," but it's so flippant. It, it's it's at the end when he says, you know, it, it's just a made up word. And, you know, you can stamp your little forms because, frankly, I don't give a shit. And, and and that's very very important that he's finally come to terms. He's not trying to wiggle his way out by 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 saying what the word the parole board wants to hear. He, he's saying what's inside himself, what he truly believes, and that makes all the difference. And Shawshank really is one of the best movies. It's not my favorite because I connect more with others, but it's definitely the best one that I've ever seen. It's, I, I don't know that it, I mean, I do consider it one of my very, very favorite movies of all time. And I, I, I will say, well, it's, it's hard for me to pick out one favorite movie. To me, I do know that this is, I think, my favorite literary adaptation to a movie of, of any, any that I've ever read. Uh, mine is uh, Princess Bride. Oh, that's, that's right up there for me as well. Yeah. I hate that we lost William Goldman last year. That was, oh. uh, that was very sad that we lost William Goldman. But what a legacy he left behind. Hey, if you ever want to talk about that one, I'm up for that too, mate. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. I love that movie. That's 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 right up there for me. All right, we'll, we'll figure something out. Well, thank you for uh, for coming on. I'm so glad that I got to see this. I didn't see it until like last year for the first really? time. Really? Oh, it, it was on my I, list forever. 
I'm happy that I saw it in the cinema when it when it first released. I it, it was not a big box office success in its initial release. Only about sixteen million dollars, and and it wasn't until its re-release and its VHS and DVD sales that that it really you know started gaining traction. But uh, you know, for for me, I, I was one one from the beginning. I remember in a uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I was in university when this came out, and I remember the cinema that I went to see it in. It's also the same cinema that I saw uh, uh, Independence Day. <laughs> nice. Daniel, this has been great. This has been a real pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad you came on. If you want to follow me, uh, follow me on Twitter, at Aussie Nerd Pod. I follow me on Facebook, uh, The Aussie Nerds, and subscribe to this podcast where I'll talk about uh, people's favorite movies with film fans. It was great. You don't have anything you want to uh, promote? No, I don't. But thank you very much for having me on, Daniel. This has been awesome. All right. Until next time, goodbye.